Greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something. We're in our final week as of the recording time, based on the matches that we have left to do. And by we, I mean myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host... Simon Cross. ...of the podcast series Let Me Tell You Something. And we've been watching every match that we can find that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. And we're coming to the uh, end of the self-contained series of matches over a month where... Meltzer just lets the stars fly. And it's the one of only the only one of the two block finals that got the five star rating this time. It's quite it's the, rare. Yeah, it's re- weirdly rare for the past um, two or three years. Simon, what match are we covering? We're looking at a Battle of the K's. Uh, annoyingly, Special K couldn't get booked for the G1. There were flight issues. But it is Kazuchika Okada taking on Kota Ibushi. So we've been saying, um, if this series were to continue and Dave Meltzer continues to rate matches in five stars and, you know, knock on wood, people keep their health, at some point in the near future, Kazuchika Okada is going to overtake the likes of Misawa, Kawada and Kabashi and have the most five-star matches to his name. Um, As of time of recording, he hasn't reached that yet, and this is the last one of Okada's matches that we'll be covering Unless he does pull out a special one with uh, less than two weeks to go. Uh, In that random about... tag tour they have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I thought he just finished the tag tour. Which he tour has done. Season. He did do that. Yeah, one. he did. But, uh, did he? No, he didn't. It wasn't him. It was Tanahashi and... Uh... I oh, mean, spray. he had the one with Ishii, but that was in September of last year. Ah, yes. Um, so this is our last Okada match of the run. And uh, he, uh, by far, he's had the most singles matches. And this is another singles match. Against Kotribushi, like you say, a man who has also had a fair number of uh, matches himself on this list. If I just take a quick look, because it's also Kota's last appearance in... on the list at the time of recording. Um, this is the gorgeous. ninth of Ibushi matches as well, and we have one more still for Ibushi to go. So, um, uh, oh no, yeah, no, it's not his last match. Oh, yeah. It's all blurring into one. <laughs> So, Surrounded by parts of my own piss, it's just gone wrong. <laughs> so it is Block A's final. Uh, Okada comes in with a seven and one record. His only loss having been in the previous five star encounter in the eyes of Dave Meltzer, uh, not in the eyes of us, uh, against Sonada. Yeah, uh, Simon's Mister Mediocre, and that... Ibushi comes in on a record of six and two. Uh, meaning that if Ibushi can get a victory over Okada, then they'll be on equal points, but Ibushi will have the head-to-head tiebreak victory. So Okada can win with a time limit draw. Yep. He doesn't have to win the match, and Ibushi does. And that's um, pretty evident that what his strategy is going to be from the bell, because Okada doesn't move for like a minute. He does a bit yeah. of Zabisco stalling, doesn't he? He's uh, yeah. trying to—he's basically doing almost like a Hulk Hogan cup in the ear thing, trying to—he's not happy that Ibushi might be uh, drowning him out in the chant off, so he, he puts his <laughs> points at his ear, saying, I'm "Not hearing my name enough, guys." <laughs> I'll I'll start when you say it. 
So Say the, my name. So there is a very, very tentative start to the match. I mean, I only have like four lines of notes by the time we reach the five-minute mark. Uh, that is that they just do a standoff, uh, Okada milking time. They're very, very tentative in their opening exchanges. They're, their hands in are quite loose and, and flapping about when they're going into like the what could be a knuckle lock or whatever. They're not. They're not. Yeah. Neither man wants to make the first move. It seems. Well, Kota's got the um, ankle injury as well, hasn't mm. he? Um, and he's got that very visible like uh, mat burn on his. Uh, he just yeah. looks a bit knackered. Yeah. Um, uh, so Okada gets his usual cocky slap in, and Nibushi uh, offers a forearm. So they have a forearm off very early on. And Ibushi hits a drop kick. Uh, but Okada really controls the first part of the match. He really dictates the pace, which has been often the story of these matches going in. He, he sort of controlled the pace against uh, uh, Osprey at the start. He was pretty controlling at the start against Sonada. It seems like he has to be sort of surprised, but I guess it's also the cockiness of Okada leaves him susceptible to make a mistake because yeah. like, he's just superior to everyone on on a, on an even playing field, so they sometimes need to hit something big to get them into in into the match. Uh, and that's sort of the way they portray him. Like, um, his weakness is that he knows he has no weakness, <laughs> and therefore it starts going into like, well, I know that he knows that I know that he knows. If you see what I mean. <laughs> but. Surprised he is, uh, and it's by a Abushi Rana, seemingly out of nowhere. A snap Rana. There are a few little allusions to his uh, former companion. Let's put it that way. Yes. Uh, well, you know, he he, he, t- he coached. They coached each other. They they rode together. Who he'll have picked up a few. They rode things. what? Sorry. Uh, um, together. <laughs> anyway, uh... just 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 together. <laughs> So yeah, it really is a. It's quite a not slow, but a deliberate first fifteen minutes or so, and it's not until Ibushi tries to up the pace at last that, that Okada's in trouble, basically. Uh, and and like I say, Ibushi has got the the hobbling. He's got like an ankle and knee issue that we saw in the Osprey match. That's been sort of the ongoing story throughout the tournament for him, I suppose. Yeah, it's his like it's his damaged wheel. It's a uh, if it might be his time, but if it's not his time, it'll be because of this. Like, what is interesting about Okada, though, I was just thinking that very often when someone who controls the pace and they keep it slow and deliberate, what uh, switches the momentum is the opponent suddenly quickening the pace. That's what Naito would do in the in the Takagi match. Yeah, like. But the funny thing with Okada is that he can also dictate that pace too. Like, when Ibushi gets a bit more in control, suddenly Okada does these incredibly fast running of the ropes where he's ducking clotheslines and elbows and hits his own elbow. So, again, it's that thing of just... He's got every base covered, Okada. He's just a complete package. He's like Mr. Wrestling. That famous JBL line, if you built a sports entertainer from the ground up, it would look like Randy Orton. But if you built a New Japan wrestler (laughs) from the ground up, it would look a damn or sore a lot like Kazuchika Okada. Mm. But no, he does hit that like vicious back elbow, like hits the DDT, and they start like talking uh, on the commentary about Kota's neck issues as well. So there's two big problem areas that Kota's got to defend. And yeah, I mean they have when they've had strike offs, uh, both forearm offs they've had in the starting period, like before the five minute mark and at this point before the fifteen minute mark. Okada wins both of them, 
And you know, Ibushi's supposed to be the you know the ex kickboxer striking yeah. master of of everyone, like martial artist. The man with the bolder shoulders. I mean, his shoulders yeah. are about three times as thick as Okada's. Yeah. And Ibushi's like he's swole, but he's not like jacked swole. I don't you know, know I mean? man. <laughs> we were we've already been I, I, marveling at his physique. Yeah, but, uh, well, no, what I'm saying is I've seen he, bigger, yeah. even but bigger shots. But just, like, he, he has an answer for everything. Like, when Ibushi gets a, catches him in a power slam, then goes for a second root moonsault, he still is, Okada knows to put, uh, has the presence of mind to put the knees up, and he hits him with a flapjack, and we're reaching the 15-minute mark, and we're halfway through the match, and Ibushi's barely been able to get into it. Um, but Okada then goes, hits his body slam, he's going for his top rope elbow, mm. uh, and then Kota manages to uh, do again selling his leg but in the process making it even look look even harder to do that spring roared super rana oh yeah where, where okada's standing on the top rope he's done yeah. that several times with uh, uh, omega he, uh, and there are callbacks to the omega semi-final match from last year in, in this match what do you think that the power bomb that he did was supposed to go like that because it was really awkward position in the ring, and and to be fair to Okada, if it was screwed up, he did a really cool bit of like seeing how close he was to the ropes. He didn't kick out; he grabbed the rope. Knowing that Kota's obviously got that storyline, I don't know if it was just storyline uh, leg injury. Part a large part of me thinks it is uh, was meant to happen. Like it was meant to be like Kota struggles to do it. Mm. Whether it was meant to be quite the way it happened or not. I, probably not but Okada just adapted in that yeah moment. I think it's a compliment to the, these guys that we can wonder if it's deliberate or not yeah that like they've essentially worked us possibly or we believe worked us into a shoot brother us. you know what I mean but they've made it they've made it so that they can factor in they factor in mistakes and, and, and being affected by injuries and that psychology that layered deep psychology into the match that we can think those things are like it's like, you know, the, the to give you an example in the WWE, when um, Mick Foley incorporated the work shoot in the Mind Games match with Shawn Michaels, playing off of Shawn Michaels' reputation. And yeah. it's looking like they suddenly descended into a, a legit fight for a few seconds. And it was awkward and clumsy, but it was meant to be awkward and clumsy. Uh, or like with, although it was a bit more planned um, and a bit more smooth, in the Shawn Michaels-Rick Flair a match at WrestleMania when Sean misses the moonsault and and try and, and tries to implement that element of doubt in what mm. many people thought was a foregone conclusion. Mm. But yeah, there's um now we just like it's that whole thing that Okada's been able to control everything just in a standard wrestling match. So now it's just Ibushi knows he's just got to bring out the big bomb moves to win this match because he's only got 15 minutes to do it. So this is where we just get your classic New Japan finishes of um, like a finishing straight of 10 minutes of crazy yeah. big moves being dodged and escaped and reversed and everything. Like, because uh, Ibushi goes for a Kamagoye and that turns into a sequence of reversals, which ends with Okada getting a, a German suplex, maintaining waist control, grabbing the wrist, going for a Rainmaker. But, uh, Not quite. Ibushi ducks it, but then he runs into the greatest dropkick of all wrestling. Yeah. Gorgeous. Okada goes for a tombstone, but Ibushi's able to reverse it into his stuffed tombstone, which I can never remember the name of. It's called the Bastard Driver, isn't it? Uh, that might be how Pat calls it, but that's not how he calls it, I'm sure. It's how the commentators call it. Well, it? Uh, that may not be Bastard, that might be mis- your mishearing of it. Well, they, no, because they, 
because um, in other matches he's used that move and the commentators have definitely called it that. So it might not be what Kota calls it, but it's what the commentary team calls it. Okay, I'm trying to get a Ko- uh, uh move set here on his wiki. Yeah, he won't call it that, but that's pro- but possibly not. But it will have a not. name for it, I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at finishing moves. I, well, I guess it was a finishing move at one point. Uh, corkscrew, Golden Star, Power Bombs, that's the last ride we keep calling it. Yep. Um... Whilst Lorcan is obviously doing uh, on-the-spot research, uh, after the move, which has no name, sort of like print, um, we go into our third forearm off. But this is the first one that Kota wins. He properly, properly rocks Okada. And Okada is obviously now hit with that surprise of... Oh, uh, the pace is quickening. I'm no longer able to keep up with this. I, I'm starting to realise I'm, I'm in trouble here. I'm in deeper water than I wanted to be. Like, I'm going to have to go through the gears even more myself just to deal with Abushi because Abushi's not going away. And if anything, he's the leg injury is affecting him less and less. He's just pure adrenaline and momentum at this point. He's becoming an irresistible force. And I've got to responding kind no I can't find a name for it just that charged moment there I think and then um, after he rocks Okada he he just keeps hitting him with more forearms he just overwhelms him Kota's like swarming him Okada is that the one where Okada crumbles at one point yeah Yeah. again just reminded me of how great Okada is at crumbling (laughs) rhubarb or apple Mm. gotta be apple Ugh, don't like rhubarb. Just yeah, give yeah, me a little so... peek behind. <laughs> Sorry. I love um, I, I love Okada's different ways of getting into a sudden short rainmaker because the rainmaker is so deliberately set up, but then with the short rainmaker version, he's able to suddenly hit it without anyone realizing that he's got it and that allows that surprise element on his opponent so it's got out of nowhere almost setting him up for a lawn dart okada turning it into a tombstone uh ibushi turning it back into the lawn dart but then okada twisting it so that they're in a backslide position and he does the backslide to ibushi but it's not to pin him it's to roll him over and he's able to grab the wrist without Obushi having the time to think about it, and suddenly he's rain-making his face off. <laughs> you know? His beautiful, beautiful face. And he holds on. He maintains his wrist control. He does it. He does a second shoot rain but when he goes for the full ripcord, Okada turns it into a straight jacket suplex. Uh, then he goes for his Kamagoye finisher, but Okada's able to uh, catch the knee. Ah, uh, and that's the bit um, that shows that Akada's more aware of the threat that Kota poses and mm. he's now realising well, what what kind of trouble he's in. It's because the moment Kota looks like he has it, Okada is doing everything in his power to prevent him getting that wind up for his knee or getting the wrists. It's just how quickly he grabs the injured leg or how yeah. quickly he moves out of the way or how quickly he's snapping into another move. So again, it's like Okada does... What we say that's so amazing about the dropkick is it's such a fantastic defensive move to suddenly switch the momentum, but it's also a great way of him just setting him up anyway. So he hits a dropkick to the back of Ibushi's head to suddenly stop his momentum, and then he tries to follow it up with his uh, with another dropkick as he whips Ibushi into the ropes. But then again, another callback to the Omega match 
of is Ibushi being able to turn it in midair into a power bomb. And again, one of the things I love when they do that is that his feet land perfectly on top of the shoulders and arm and shoulders of uh, Okada putting it into an immediate pin. Zero wasted motion. So Ibushi does the Nakamura pose for to his former Chaos teammates. But then as he's preparing to do his Bomaye, he runs straight into the Okada dropkick. Again, the momentum shifter that it is. So Okada goes for a Rainmaker, but uh, Ibushi reverses that into a ripcord of his own from the neck uh, to a high knee to hit the face. Again, V-Trigger-esque, maybe. Uh, or like a Snap Kamagoye. I thought more Snap Kamagoye when I saw it, but now that you've mentioned it, it, it is sparking V-Trigger uh, similarities in my brain. He goes with the Kamagoye again, ends up in an electric chair, which leads to Okada getting the cradle that he won the first fall against uh, Omega with. He'd recently defeated Chris Jericho at Dominion in his title defense with that move as well. So it's a believable finish at this point. Gets a really long two count. Ibushi hits a high kick. uh, Beautiful high kick. Uh, Okada... uh, Ducks uh, uh, an attempt at a Rainmaker, goes for his own discus, la- discus Rainmaker, but Ibushi turns that into the Kamagoye, that gets a long two count, brings him up, second full-on Kamagoye, gets him the three count at 25.05. So it's not really until the last ten minutes that this really, really picks up. Again, showing that Ibushi kind of is getting better, maybe through physical requirement, at pacing it and not mm. hitting everything all the time. He spaces it out more, and the storyline obviously has like given him, has set him up in the way that he can mm. be forced to wrestle a slower pace match. It makes lo- logical sense compared to his character to do that. He's obviously got a Carter who wants it slower, mm. and he's got to be more defensive because of his bad leg. Yeah. So, are you giving this one five stars, Simon? I am. You are. I- yeah, I, I I loved it. I loved the flow. I loved how like there was a clear. It's a match. You could know you could have followed the G one, and you'd be like, oh yeah, hook line sinker, Kota must win. It's a match you could watch, and with no context at all. I feel, and within about three three or so minutes, you know, you you would know pretty much the story of what came before it and where they're at through their body language, through the way that both men are, like, okay. wrestling. Because even though it is tentative in the early... Like, you can... It, Kota's injury comes across. Yeah. Okada's assurance and knowing that he doesn't have to go for the win in the same way that Kota does comes across. The, the body language and the way they convey it, it's beautiful. Well, Okada's... Still- Almost as beautiful as Kota. Okada still always wants to win. Yeah. You know, in many ways, he's in the position that Tanahashi was. Well, he's exactly in the position that Tanahashi was the previous year, where, you know, he didn't have to win it, but he right up to the final bell, he's trying to get the two points. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, he's still, yeah, there's still obviously that element to it, but he's got the, as I say, he's got the insurance policy of not needing the win. Um, interestingly, this is the first time in a long time that a match that was wrestled at the G1 Climax is also going to be the headline main event of a Wrestle Kingdom match. It's pretty much always the rule that whoever wins the G1 Climax will be in the opposite block of whoever is the IWGP champion or becomes the IWGP champion by the end of the um, tournament. 
Mm. But but this is the first time probably to do with the fact that they plan to do the double main event anyway. It's a, yeah, it's a two-day thing, so that's probably like changed mm. the plans somewhat. But I think that that knowledge uh, is also one of the reasons why I'm not quite going five stars with this, because I think they're holding back. And I, I would expect their Wrestle Kingdom match in a few weeks' time, at time of recording, to be even better, or for them to strive from the start to make it an even better match. Um, I think they will do. Is that the only reason? It's not the only reason, but I think that that mentality contributes to them not putting on a match that's at the peak of their abilities. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So it's not because you think there's no, even better gave, out there. It's because you think it's because you think there's like eighty percent of yeah. what there could be. Yeah, that, that's more. I gave what all of the Okada Omega matches five stars because I knew that they were striving to have the very best match it was physically possible for them to have. Yeah, but I don't think they had that mentality going into this one, which is similar to the reason why I didn't give the Omega Ibushi semi-final match mm. this time last year in the G1 Climax five stars either, because I think they also thought they were holding out for one thing that was going to be even bigger maybe in the future, and I think and... that fed into the quality of the match personally, maybe even only on a subconscious level to them. Okay, okay. So that's why I'm not quite going five stars, but I can understand why others would. Okay. It's probably my I, I, favorite. Now, probably my favorite match of the G one matches that we've had this year because I haven't given any of them five stars this year. Yeah. Now I went a bit deeper into your thinking. I I I can see where you're coming from, but you know, agree to disagree, sort of thing. It's like I, I rate it five stars, and that's not. A, I'm not slighting you for not rating it five stars, and, mm. and that's fine. So we come to the grand finale once again. For maybe the fourth time in the past five G1 climaxes or so, the final has gained five stars. But and we know who one of the participants is, Simon. But who is the other one? What is the match that we will be covering next in our series? Uh, we are covering the G1 final between Kota Ibushi and making his debut, I think, in terms yep. of nationality, the longest gap uh, between... <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I was just thinking... The uh, sheep herders and this gentleman, Switchblade Jay White. Another Kiwi, eh? Right. So, uh, let's take a chick here. Uh, Ibushi, present. Uh, Jay White, present. Uh, Gado, present. Uh, Gado's hat, present. I thought we'll talk about that later. And hopefully you'll all be present for this next match uh, next time we record it. So, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you. Uh, how can I do that? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of seconds after I mentioned a uh, country that Lorcan could do the accent of, that I started to regret my decision. Uh, yes, sir. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's uh, L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Auckland. Uh, N for New Zealand. That's my Twitter handle, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, it's uh, lmtyspod at gmail.com. And LMT Words Pod is also our uh, Twitter handle. But there's, uh, there's nothing much left to say, is there? Except, uh, my name's Luke Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Uh, thank you for letting us tell you something. Uh, hope you have a five-star time. And until the next time. <laughs>